Welcome to another episode of the Decent Rowing Podcast. My name's Lachlan Davey, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So recently we had the opportunity to head up to Croker Oars and meet with Howard Croker and pick his brain about all things rowing. And so in today's episode, Ken's going to be having a chat with Howard about all length standard rig as well as coaching methodology, general rigging, technique and blade design. So hopefully enjoy and let's get stuck into it. Firstly, I suppose if you could perhaps talk about where you think blade depth is, particularly in relation to what happens with the blade if it's too shallow. Uh, if the oar's only just, just on the surface, so to speak, just buried, uh, what impact does that have on, on connection and, and the flow of the blade through the water? Um, you don't really want the water bursting out over the top of the blade, you want the water flow to go along the blade. So when it's on the surface, you don't want a lumpy water um, coming out through the stroke. So if you bury it, you don't see that lump as much and, and it's held within itself better with the compression of the water. Um, so I really believe the, be- the blade has got to be buried really quite well. And, um, and then that's why it's so important to get the blade out cleanly. And to be des- for the blade to be designed to get out cleanly. And a lot of the blades around do not get out cleanly. And um, yeah, it's been a lot of thought. We've done a lot of, we've done more testing and unbelievable amount of testing and trialing. And well, you saw the new shape this morning that we're working on, and that'll be that'll be tested. And in 12 months' time, we'll have a blade shape. It's not going to happen tomorrow because we get out there and suck it and see. And we can't tech test. We've tried tank testing. It's a waste of time. The best is to get good athletes. They've got a good feel, a good touch, and get them using the blade to get their opinion. Yeah. And so, if you had an athlete that had a a messy catch or a messy finish, then they may be worthwhile them experimenting with different different types of oars in order to see what suits them. Yeah, there's not that much selection. To like, like if you've got a mess, messy finish, you could do with a less hook. Yeah. Um, if you've got a messy catch. Well, you know, um, uh, that's application more than the technique. Do technique. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've always wondered why oars float. Why does the, if you sit the blade in the water, it'll sit just on the surface? Uh, Flatwise or depthwise? No, depthwise. Well, we try to get the blade with less floating area on the blade, so it sinks naturally. And our blade sinks more than most. Yeah, and and um, I suppose the only other way to make it sink would be make it heavier. Yeah, and that's quite in order to do that. Um, we can make our blades a lot heavier. Mm. Does anyone have blades, order blades that are heavy? They... Not really. Um, we do put lead in them occasionally. Um, we weigh every blade, every shaft, and measure every deflection on it, every shaft, and we put them. You know, the pre-preggers are only allowed plus or minus 2%. We can't get it accurate with that mm. guarantee. So what we do is we do volume, then we weigh and deflect and put the same deflection in. I should have shown you this morning the writing on the oars. You'll see deflection and you'll see the weight of the oar written on the oar. Then the assembler, which is my son, he puts it all together and so that there's an exact feel and, and very little variance from one side of the blade to the other. It's so important. We think so anyhow. Yeah, that's what we I've do. I've heard coaches in the past talk about wanting to have weight in the handle so they, they don't want the water to be too light uh, on the yep. outboard because it, it's, it's, 
It's almost there's nothing there. They want to feel a little bit of it down there. That's correct too. And you're dead right. But you actually, once they get used to the lightness in the hand, you never go back to the heavier in the hand. Yeah. Uh, never go back. Um, but they're correct, in, so it allows the hook it on that furthest point much easier out there. And it's so simple for us to, to make it mm. um, heavier in hand. We can do that mm. by chopping carbon out and putting glass in, which glass is heavy. Um, yeah, we can do it so easy and but quickly. Presumably if you did that, then there's going to be more weight out at the end of the ore, so there's going to be, uh, the overall it's going to be less efficient when the ore changes direction because it's... No, I don't think so. Um, no, I think, uh, I think um, if you make the blade heavier... Um, look, if you want to make the easiest, just put 50 grams of lead around, flat lead around the neck. Yeah. That, that's so easy. Um, we do glue um, sinkers down, right down into the blade when we, someone's requesting something a bit heavier. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's all possible. It's quite easy. Um, the biggest problem is that we can't change the hook so much because that's in the tooling mm. and the tooling is extremely expensive and um, so yeah but if someone comes up with a really good idea well we'll run with it and try it or we come up with an idea and uh, we'll try it. The blades, there's so little, like the first cleaver blade I saw in Yale tank test in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, it was a cleaver blade built in 1880. Uh, they're not <laughs> they're new. Around, They've yeah. been around a long time. Yeah. And, and we were building cleaver blades way back in the 64, uh, 64, 65, for Doc Longley and other people, Reg Galvin, the sculling oars, way back at Penrith, these guys, back in the, in the 60s, you know. And the only people who ever knocked them were the people that never used them. All the users just loved them, yeah, and that, would, that was in timber, mm. yeah, so, um, yeah, we've been doing it for a long time, um, but, yeah, certainly this is so easy to use now, the rigging, the sleeve, the swivel, the riggers today are just so easy, except for the smart riggers, if once you undo one nut, it all goes to hell, but they have other advantages as well, um, but the rigging is just so simple. The swivel is so good to lock up and make a good lock up, which is a good point to lock up. Um, yeah. And with the sleeves, when if we look at the, the sleeve on an oar, um, when do you know you should do something about replacing it? Good point. Um, when the edges get round, yeah, the bottom edge in particular, and um, you can scrape it and you can get a bit more life with a scraper. Making sure, as I showed you this morning on the video, that you you set it up on a jig or mm. on, and you can scrape it, take the button off and scrape it. And for the the, the person that uh, is not as skilled, you know, just a Stanley blade, just the blade itself, you could do that with okay. a Stanley blade. And just scrape it down. Yeah, and yeah. And, and, then, and then check that it's zero pitch. I'll keep checking all the time. Yeah, yeah. to get it flat on the back again. Mm. Is it hard for people to replace their own? We, we on it, we've got it all on video. If anyone wants to see it, we can look on video how to do it. And we're really keen to teach people and show people how to do it. But in the long run, I think it's best if we do it because it's done right. Um, yeah. Because you've got to line it up again. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't put, have a jig. And they put the wrong sleeve in the wrong place and they put the wrong sleeve the wrong way. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but we, we also open our factory up to people that are saving money. If they bring a crew up here, we'll show them how and, and, and come and work in our factory and they'll put their own sleeves on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll guide them the right way and keep an eye on them. Yeah. The biggest problem with guys is that we do it every day and we, we remember what's going on. Uh, we can explain to someone and then of course they're going to forget. And the thing is not to be embarrassed if it got been explained two or three times before because they do things in rigging and whatever. Um, we're really happy to answer your questions and, and understand that you're going to forget. Uh, it's not your job, it's our job. And, and I don't expect anyone to remember everything. But it is quite simple when you get it down to the basics. You can get the tools out of your garage. Uh, we don't need to spend expensive battery operated or anything that's uh, expensive. We can do it quite cheaply and that, that's important. Rigging is one of those things that often coaches do. Uh, and athletes tend not to do. Uh, how do you see that as far as getting uh, good performance goes? I don't want to offend any coaches, so <laughs> they buy oars or they don't buy oars. But it's up to the coaches to teach their athletes for the future of rowing. Um, most of the guys that come through national rowing teams and that, they don't seem to understand anything about rigging because it's so much easier for the professional coach to rig the boat himself. Um, why don't they spend time rigging the boat with their crew to teach them how to rig a boat. And, and there's guys out there really do know rigging and they, they should be teaching their guys and get them to do it and then check it afterwards. But I plead with all coaches, teach your guys to rig because that's the future for me to stay in business, for you to stay in business and the rowing to go on is that if you teach a person to rig, they can catch. If they can't rig, there's no way, in my opinion, if you don't know how to rig without embarrassing people, can you coach, um, in my opinion. So you've got to learn to be able to set your crew up. And it's really worthwhile set, sacrificing one row just to rig your boat properly. And, and that makes a hell of a difference. I will not get on the water unless I check the pitch. Uh, I'm not going to waste my time trying to correct someone's fault which when it's in the rigging and trying to correct it in the athlete. It's just worthwhile checking your rig before you get on the water. Yeah, at the beginning of the season and halfway through it maybe. And if it looks wrong, check it before that. And certainly before every race, check it. Um, just so important. I, I've got to really not talk much about it because people get embarrassed or they just think that you're crazy that you're talking about rigging and rowing. It's crazy. To me, rigging is the most important thing first up and then technique after that. And so when you, if you're starting out coaching a school crew, uh, then uh, setting the boat up for the crew, you find often that they've got, if they're under 13, under 14, they've got some big kids and they've got some small kids and there's all sorts of disparities there. Uh, Is there a, a, a rule of thumb or is it better to set one seat up in the boat or two seats up, set up differently from the others? If you've got one tall guy and one short guy, you've got to get a compromise. You've got to go in the middle and you get the short guy to 
stretch back and lean back a bit further and reach, stretch forward and get the, the big guy to shorten up front and back so you get the same rhythm. You all get to the back chocks in time to get that rhythm and hands moving away together. And if you don't have that, you'll never, but it's very difficult when you've got a really long guy and a short guy together. You're right in what you say. In more of the elite crews, you can bring your pin in for the short guy so he's getting the same length through the water. But that's not feasible in boat sheds where there's a lot of school. It's got to be simple. And so you've got to get your big guy to shorten up and your little guy to lengthen out to get to match. So it's an even rhythm, yeah. And the, uh, often I find that athletes are rigged too high and so they end up with the handles up here somewhere at the finish. The East Germs used to say to me that a high drawer is better, but I like to see chest height myself. Do you like chest height? Yeah. Um, but certainly up here to me it's weak, but the East Germans used to rig high uh, and go fast. Um, I thought too high, but I just like to see chest height and blade berry. Yeah, it's, well, my experience is it's difficult to teach someone to row if they're not comfortable. Very much. The comfort is everything. You, you, you can't go fast if you're uncomfortable, you can't do anything. Comfort is the number one thing. And we can put all this, trying to take the magic out of it all, but you've got to um, work on comfort. Each athlete has different lengths from here to the hip. Uh, each and. But in a club situation or a school situation, it's got to be a compromise. And I think that probably goes to the reason why athletes need to understand their rigging. Oh. And so when they get into the boat, they know where to put their foot stretcher. They understand if the heights are good or not. And uh, my preference as a coach would always be for the athlete to understand what it should feel like so that they can tell me. Is that how you <coughs> so. In the lower end, no. Um, I think it, you've got to be careful. Kids can't be telling you what to do. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, it, it, there's some kids that can feel it and listen, but no, you've got to form your own opinion towards the, at the end of the row, at the end of the race, as a coach. <coughs> at, the high, at the high end, it's important that you sit your crew down after every race and you run through the whole race including rigging and how everyone felt yeah that's so important but at the lower end time problem they might have only an hour and a half on the water you don't have that time to sit and talk i, I set the boat up and i know it's right and then i really don't listen too much to the kid after that mm. no, that's fair because they're always very time challenged. Yeah. It's always a rush to get onto the water, oh. and get off the water and get it up to The school. only thing the coaches haven't got is time. They haven't got time. They can't be frigging around with the length of the water. They can't be frigging around. They, they just haven't got time to get, so it's important that they just get on the water and do their run. Get it set for Once the boat's rigged. rigged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not come back and rig and re-rig and re-rig. Yeah. Once you, you know the boat's right, and then just get on with your work, yeah. Um, just like to talk a little about all links. Yeah. I've seen lots of crews, school crews, uh, senior school crews that are rowing on 371, I'll go for sweep first, 371, or I've seen some rowing 376, 84, 114 inboard, those sorts of numbers. Um, 
how do you see the length of the awe in relation to athlete performance, particularly in a school area where you've got uh, under 16s and, and opens rowing and, and using the same oars? And, mm. and there seems to be a tendency to think that longer is better. What's your opinion? If a schoolboy can do 371s and do 550 in an eight regularly, um, there's not much wrong with the length of the oar, is it? And, and why go longer when the 16-year-old and 17-year-olds, especially six, they haven't developed as much as a 17-year-old. Keep the people, and the worst experience, the worst thing is the coaches say, well, we're on 371 last year, the crews are doing a high machine score and going for, we're going to go longer again. Why go longer? There's no need, no, no need to go any longer because they're cracking 350 on 371s. So what sort of problems come out of having too long an oar? Just overgearing, heavy dying in the arse towards the end. Uh, you know, in Victoria they are using longer oars and they're getting away with it. But I don't see, still I don't see any point in, in having those length oars. I really don't when you can pull the time with a shorter oar. And you, you know you, you can get going there. And, and as for women, uh, I just can't under. It's hard to crack a woman under. You get an eight under six minutes, and here they're going longer than schoolboys. And it just doesn't make any sense to me why they're going three seventy threes and three seventy fours. Why not just? And I know in some cases you can cut the surface area down, and that helps. They take ten mil off the bottom or even take a bit out of the neck, you know. Um, that would help to grow with a longer oar. Why, why do they need to be any longer any of the schoolboys? Uh, I, I don't see the point, I don't see it. And so if you were looking to rig a under 16 um, women's eight, for example, um, what is a standard go-to type oar length? It's not popular, I go 369, three something like that. I yeah. school, school girls, yeah, not popular at all. But why? They're struggling. Mm. Uh, an 84 inboard, you know, yeah, yeah. So sort of, they're struggling, mm. and um, you see them labouring and their heads rocking around. <laughs> towards, what? What? When you look at as a coach, when you look at look at the finish, you know, the last 250 metres in a boat race. And what are your crews doing? They've forgotten all about gearing and rigging, really, all they want to do is get across the line as quick as they can. And if they look like they're struggling or washing out or whatever, well, make adjustments to suit. And don't be scared to make those adjustments. Um, but, you know, just to persevere with a long oar is crazy when they haven't got the, the strength. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me too. And so you'd be looking at um, 360 368, 369, yep. 114, inboard, 84 yep. spread, that 84, sort of number. Yep, that yeah. sort of number. Yeah, that sort of number. And just remember a sweep oar needs to come in, to just a rough rule thing that the sweep oar needs to come in. Right, put your hand on the side of your chest, point your fingers to the stern, and the handle can come in, that allows the draw, and you can vary a little bit on that. But it's a good rule of thumb with your, your spread and, and your gearing. Um, so that you know that the, the, the girl's not finishing like this across the boat. Yeah, so sort of just like that? Yeah. Just put in the handle should just yeah. sort of there. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then uh, uh, I suppose as you say that stops them leaning in and out yep. as well because it's in, they yep. don't have too much handle yep. to use. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's just a simple method. 
of just getting your rigging right when they're sitting in the boat. And tomorrow morning we're going to do rigging off the water and all that. And, and I like to see the shins first. I like to see the finish right and then go from there. Without measurements, just by eye. Um, but then you can go to Johnny Dreesen's angles of attack and finish when you get to the elites. And, and uh, you know, so yeah, I like to not finish, not be able through the work too far. Um, I like to get that work on the last half as well and keep accelerating. And um, so yeah, and if you go right through the work, you jam yourself up at the, at the finish in my opinion. I don't like that jamming up. I'd rather try and keep accelerating and finishing out. And um, yeah, so it's personal, you know, whatever you think's the best. And you see over the years the best rowing and the good crews do that. I do like the draw of the stretcher coming back to you as you come. As you're coming into the cage. As you're coming in. And I hate the terminology, which I use all the time, is come down the slide. I hate that. You draw the stretcher back. And I like the hands going away with the same speed as the water, you know, um, as a good guide, you know. So if you want to see the video version of this podcast, please head to our website, decentrowing.com. Our members can log in and view this, as well as a whole heap of other ones that we did with Howard while we are up there. There's also the complete rigging session where he shows you how to rig a boat using simple simple tools, and it's really nice to be able to see a boat rigged properly uh, without a whole heap of fancy equipment that you know you might not have at the time you need to rig the boat. So if you're not quite ready for a membership just yet, uh, but are interested in what we do, uh, I'd recommend heading over to our website. You can sign up to join our email list. And when you do that, you get uh, our rowing course for free. Uh, So it's a good introduction to what we do at decentrowing.com. So until next time, happy rowing.